Thank you, Spirit of Grace, for leading us so capably. The band took Wednesday off due to the cold weather as we canceled uh, all of our Wednesday activities this past week due to the very bitter cold. And then due to a miscommunication, we're kind of pulling things together here this morning. So how about a big hand for the band? They do a nice job, don't they? Wow. We welcome those of you who are watching or listening online. What a great joy to have you with us. You are a part of our extended Grace Church family. We thank you for your faithfulness in watching and viewing online, for being a part of our family, even at home or wherever you may be. What a joy to have you with us as well. Today we get to continue our sermon series, When Kingdoms Collide. And today we are up to Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. So you might want to open your Bibles and turn there or just follow the words on the screen. Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. In my Bible, the section is entitled, Jesus Prays in a Solitary Place. Hear the word of God. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark... Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, would you come and add your blessing to the reading and now the proclamation of your word. Make it hit us where it counts. Anoint this message, anoint the messenger, anoint us all as we listen, that we may hear what it is that the Spirit is saying to the churches, even to Grace Church this very morning. None of us are here by accident. You have called us here for a divine appointment. And so, Lord, would you come Would you speak to us now? Would you be with those who are in need at this very moment as those emergency workers respond and we hear those sirens? Lord, be with them. Help them. And help us, Lord, as we focus now on what it is that you are wanting to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Two boys got in trouble for stealing. Their parents thought it'd be a good idea to have them talk to the pastor, which he readily agreed to do. Hoping to talk some sense into the boys, he decided to meet with the two delinquents, one at a time on separate occasions. He called little Johnny in after school one day. Being the clever pastor that he was, he thought he'd try to bring God into the picture, kind of ask a theological question to help the boys each realize that that God could see what they were doing, that, that Jesus was present, that he could see 
their actions and how he might feel about that. The time came to meet with the first boy. Johnny came into the pastor's office reluctantly, sat in the chair across the desk from the pastor with his head down and, and feeling rather ashamed. The pastor began pointedly and asked him, Where is Jesus? The boy didn't know what to say. He was startled. He wasn't sure how to answer the question, so he just remained silent. After a period of time, the, the pastor asked again, this time a little more forcefully, a little louder, Where is Jesus? Once again, the boy was startled. He didn't know how to respond. He remained silent. He began to sweat. He put his head down, hoping the pastor wouldn't ask again. But sure enough, the pastor asked a third time. This time he stood up from his desk. He leaned over and he looked the little boy, looked right at him. And he said, where is Jesus? The little boy was trembling. He was so afraid that he jumped up suddenly out of the chair. He ran out of the pastor's office. He ran all the way home and he called, picked up the phone and he called little Tommy, his partner in crime. And he said, boy, are we in trouble. The pastor and the people at the church lost Jesus and they think we took him. Today's passage is all about a time when Jesus went missing. Where is Jesus? So far in Mark, we have seen Jesus get baptized and be declared as God's Son, whom He loves. We have seen Jesus come proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe, said Jesus. We have seen Jesus call his first disciples, Simon and Andrew, James and John, mere fishermen, uneducated, ordinary people, kind of like us. We have seen Jesus assert his authority in teaching, in driving out demons, in healing diseases, in setting people free. Momentum is building. Jesus' popularity is increasing. The crowds are gathering outside the door. The disciples are excited and they are rip-roaring and ready to go for another day. Let's go cast out some more demons, Jesus. Let's go heal some more people. We can't wait to see what you're going to do today, Jesus. This is amazing stuff. The people are waiting. We're waiting. There's only one problem. Where is Jesus? Jesus is missing. People are waiting. The disciples are eager to start another day. But Jesus is nowhere to be found. Where is Jesus? Three things jump off the page at me in this particular passage in Mark chapter 1. I invite you to take out your outline. Fill it in as we go. The first thing is trying social pressures. Just say it with me. Trying social pressures. This is the context of today's story. Jesus has enjoyed tremendous popularity. 
He's gone from anonymity to fame in just one day. Teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath morning to having the whole town lined up outside his door that same evening. Jesus' ministry is an instant success. The kingdom of God is exploding onto the scene. Jesus is becoming a mega preacher, a mega healer. Why, he'd be on TV if he were, you know, if they had TV. But the needs of the people are great. So overwhelming. There's so much sickness, so much disease, so many demons to cast out, so many people to set free and to share the good news of the kingdom of God coming. You can't help but wonder if even in these early disciples that they wanted the fame and fortune to ride on on the coattails of Jesus' stardom. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. His time, his healing, his power, his message, his compassion, his fame, his stardom. And no doubt Jesus was feeling in his human side these social pressures, these expectations. As a pastor, I personally know that ministry can be stressful at times. It can be very demanding. There's always more needs, more things to do, more people to call on or visit. One person really can't do it all alone. My heart may be saying yes, but my schedule or my physical limitations just don't allow me to meet all of the needs all of the time. We can only imagine what Jesus, with his far greater compassionate heart than than mine or any of us, what what he would be feeling, confronted with all of these needs and all of these people. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus has passion. He has divine power at his disposal. The human side of Jesus was likely feeling torn, overwhelmed, exhausted, maybe a bit stressed out. The social demands, the expectations, the pressures were were heavy upon Jesus. Everybody is looking for you, Simon says. Have you ever felt that way? Everybody wants a piece of you. There's more work to do than you have time for. The phone won't stop ringing. The text messages keep coming. The emails are piling up. The to-do list is growing longer every day. Your family has certain and specific expectations of you. For me, it's always a challenge going home at Christmas time to, to squeeze meeting. We have our family party, and I've got four siblings, and to see each of them, plus a number of friends that I love to see, and, and just taking some time to reflect and focus on our ministry all of the demands. Your friends have certain expectations of you. Come on, join us for dinner. Stop in sometime. Give me a call. Maybe your boss is laying more work on you. There's increased expectations, higher quotas to meet, more tasks, more projects to do. Maybe it's just keeping up with the demands of your own schedule, trying to keep up with life, paying the bills, making the appointments, seeing the doctor, doing the laundry, doing the dishes, keeping the yard up, shoveling snow, the car, doing taxes. Trying to squeeze in a little time for yourself every now and then just to exercise or eat healthy. And we're not Jesus, but most of us can relate at least on some level to the increasing social expectations and pressures that bombard us most every day. What do we do? How do you cope? 
What did Jesus do? And this is where the story gets really interesting, and it takes a kind of twist, because not only is the context these trying social pressures, but now we see time out for a solitary prayer. Say it with me. Time out for a solitary prayer. It's countercultural. Who has time to pray in the midst of all of this? My first instinct when feeling overwhelmed is to work harder, attack my to-do list, get up earlier, work later. As a pastor, I don't want to disappoint anyone. I want to meet all of the needs. I hate to say no. I want to please everyone. Of course, doing it all by yourself and your own strength is a sure formula for burnout and frustration. It's not healthy for anybody. But this is what we do. We put in extra hours. We shortchange our own health. We knock ourselves out trying to meet all of the ever-increasing social demands and expectations that are laid upon us. And usually this comes at the expense of our own health or the health of others. And the fact is, we can't do it alone. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this. Which is why very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Hey, guys, we found him. He's over here. Come, Jesus, everybody is looking for you. What are you doing over here? What, 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 What is so important over here? People need you, Jesus. We need you. You are disappointing a whole lot of people, Jesus. What are you thinking? Well, at least we found you. Now we can get you back on track with the program, i.e. our program for you, Jesus, with our agenda. But Jesus is having none of it. In the face of the demands, the expectations, the pressures of others, Jesus goes off by himself to a solitary place to pray. Jesus knew that alone time with his Father in prayer was more important than meeting the demands of all of the people. That being still in prayer was the source of strength Jesus needed to have a meaningful impact in others' lives. Jesus turned to prayer in the midst of the stress, leaning on God's strength and spirit to get him through the demands of that day, to give him direction for what to do next, to find peace in the midst of pressure. Jesus counters social pressures with a solitary prayer. What role does prayer have in your life? There's at least four good times to pray as modeled by Jesus in today's scripture. Number one, pray when feeling stress. Yes, Jesus was fully God, but the Jesus was also fully human. And I believe that the human side of Jesus felt this stress about his ministry at this point. And as a result, Jesus turned to prayer. What are you feeling stressed about these days? What keeps you up at night? Are there unresolved issues in your life? What do you worry about? What gives you anxiety? 
Paul said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. What an invitation. God invites you to pray when feeling stressed. Number two, good time to pray is when facing temptation. When facing temptation. Was Jesus facing the temptation to oblige the people, to meet their expectations, to satisfy their demands, to, to heed the disciples' advice and appease them and to stay in Capernaum and enjoy more popularity just a little bit longer here, Jesus? Now, we don't know for sure, but probably we would have we would have felt that temptation. Let's face it, we all like being praised, being popular, being wanted, being needed, being in demand. It feeds our ego. But Jesus flatly rejects these accolades. Jesus rejects the way of the world, the way of fame and fortune and popularity and prestige. And so too, as Jesus' disciples, we are called to reject worldly fame, Rather, to live lives of sacrifice and humility, sometimes even obscurity, just doing the right thing, being faithful behind the scenes. So may we pray against this temptation, the temptation toward fame or popularity or to please others or whatever it might be, Jesus says to pray, lead us not into temptation. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. What temptations do you face? Prayer helps us stand strong. A good time to pray is when feeling stressed, when facing temptation, and when finding direction. Given verse 38 in our passage, we wonder if Jesus wasn't praying to find direction in his life and his ministry. Oh, Lord, what are my next steps? Father, show me the way. Where do we go next? And how often don't we also come across significant decisions in which we aren't quite sure which way to go? Should I choose this job or that one? Should I retire on this date or that year? Should I be a part of this class or that class? Should I date or marry this person or that person? Uh, should I have the surgery or not? How will I deal with the issues in my life? It's often been said that your life to this point is the sum total of all of your choices. All of the decisions and choices you have made this far. Now, we know that that's not 100% true. Sometimes things happen to us. Sometimes tragedy comes into our lives, and we didn't choose that. But a lot of times, uh, it's true. The thing, our life today, in a sense, is kind of the sum total of all of the choices we've made up to this point. Why not let God grant you wisdom and direction in making those choices? James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. What a promise. God says, I will give you direction. I will show you the way. 
It's a good time to pray when stressed, when feeling temptation, when finding direction, and fourthly, when fueling strength, when fueling strength. Jesus knew he could not carry out his ministry alone or in his strength, which is why he called disciples to join him, to work with him. And it is also why he would fall on his knees in prayer, seeking the power of the Holy Spirit to fill him. He needed to tap into a greater power source. Too often we get excited about something good and we run ahead on our own strength, but all in our own plans we're bound to fail if they are not sourced and sustained by God. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers build in vain. Jesus knew this, which is why he prayed, which is why he wanted to keep in step with the Spirit. Do you ever feel weak? Anybody feeling a little tired this morning? Feeling a bit depleted? Struggling just to kind of get through the day? Jesus says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a person remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. God wants to refuel you. Would you let him? Would you take time to pray, to be refueled, to regain your energy and strength? Three things from this passage this passage, trying social pressures, time out for a solitary prayer, and thirdly, turning to stay on purpose. Say it with me, turning to stay on purpose. Jesus has a most unusual response to the anxious demands of Simon and the other disciples. When they say, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. You can feel that anxiety in verse 37. Verse 38, here's what Jesus does. He says, uh, let's go somewhere else to other nearby villages so that I can preach there also, for that is why I have come. Jesus is clear about his purpose. Say what, Jesus? Did you not hear what I just said? People are looking for you. People need you here. There's more to do here. People need you here. We need you here now, Jesus, today. No, No, I don't think so. It's time to move on. Verse 39, Mark just says, matter-of-factly, so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I love this conversation and how Jesus was so well differentiated that he didn't let the anxiety of Simon or others or even the needs of the people dissuade or distract him. Jesus stayed clear to his purpose, his calling. He stayed on purpose. He, he, in fact, he turned from what he was doing to stay on purpose. I need to preach elsewhere. This is why I've come. 
This may not make sense to you, Simon, but there is a higher plan. There's a grander purpose. God is in charge. Trust me, it's time to move on. Go get your things. Tell the others, come on, we're going on to other villages now. The gospel of the kingdom of God must go forth. There are many villages and cities throughout Galilee, many people in need in other places too, whom I must preach and proclaim the good news of the kingdom to. Our work is done here for now. Personally, I think Jesus got clarity about his future, his purpose through that prayer. And despite pressures and temptations to the contrary, Jesus would now turn and stay true to God's purposes for him. How often aren't we also distracted from God's best for us? Jim Collins, in his book, From Good to Great, writes that the enemy of great is good. Surely there are many good things we can do, no doubt about it. It might have been good for Jesus to stay in Capernaum and heal more people, but God may be calling you to do something great. Don't compromise your calling for something merely good. Here at Grace Church, we have to sift through all kinds of good things, say no to many good things in order to stay true to the great things that God has in store for us. We can't do it all. We get all kinds of requests. We get this and that and needs, and sometimes some of you are saying, Pastor, we should do this, we should do that, and and as a consistory, as leaders, we have to sift through that and kind of sort, what does God want us to do? There are many good things we could do. But the question is, what does God want us to do? For me, Tuesday morning is my time of sermon writing. It's a prayerful time of crafting a message and hearing from God. If you call me on Tuesday morning, if you text me or email me, you probably aren't going to get a response because I can't, I have to stay true to my purpose. I'll get back to you later. Usually it lets me know when it's about dead, but never know. Needs a resurrection, my batteries. So too in your life, God is calling you to stay on purpose. To stay true to your calling. To say yes to God sometimes means saying no to others. You only have so much resource, so much strength, so much time, so many years in your life, so much mental and emotional energy. Don't waste it. Say yes to those things that will make the greatest impact for God. It's a hard lesson to learn, but it's an important one. And the question is, how will you stay on purpose for God? And let me just give you quickly three little tips. Number one, first, know who you are. 
Know who you are. Know your calling. Know your gifts, your abilities. I love how Rick Warren talks about this. He uses the acronym SHAPE. Have you ever heard of that before? Know your shape. Look at some of us, our shapes are expanding around the midsection right here. I can, you know. But um, no, Rick Warren says shape. Shape is an acronym. Spiritual gifts. Know your gifts. Know how God has wired you. H is for heart passion. Know your passion. What are you passionate about? What gets you excited? Number three, the A is for aptitudes or abilities. What are your skills and your talents? That's a part of your God-given gifting. And number, uh, number P, uh, the letter P is for your personality. Well, how is God? Are you introverted? Are you extroverted? These are all clues to how God wants to use you. And then fifthly, the E is for experience. What are your experiences? Because God builds on our experiences, right? God doesn't waste anything, even the hard times. God will use all of who you are. That's who you are. Get clear about how God has created you, how he has wired you, why God has put you on this earth. That's number one. Know who you are. Number two, know who you are not. Understand your limits. You are not God. You are not Jesus. <laughs> hate to break it to you. <laughs> We're humans. It's okay to say no. If Jesus didn't meet all of the needs, why do you think you have to? And then thirdly, celebrate this uniqueness. Knowing who you are, knowing who you are not. It's okay to be different. It's okay to be differentiated from others. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How many of you know that you are a very unique creation of God? Amen? Some of you a little more unique than others. It's a weird bunch here at Grace Church. But God has a plan for you. God has created you that way on purpose for a plan. And He has something that He wants you to do while you're here on planet Earth that only you can do. And if you don't do it, it may not get done. As Stephen Covey wrote in the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that we can say no to some things because there is a bigger yes in your heart. God's calling. What is your yes? What is your yes? Would you turn to stay on purpose in the example of Jesus? Trying social pressures, we all feel them time out for a solitary prayer. We all need it. Staying on purpose. We need that. We want to fulfill God's will for our lives. What does it all mean? How do we put it all together? What is God saying to us through this passage in Mark? I think maybe, maybe, Jesus is telling us something really important. And I think he's speaking to you and to me. 
That the kingdom of God is not all about spectacular miracles and casting out demons and healing diseases and powerful sermons and gaining public popularity. That the kingdom of God will not be dictated by people's pressures or expectations. It's not given to popular demands or pleasing the masses. It's not always going to come with a show of great might or power. In fact, often, it's not at all about what happens in public. It's about what happens on the inside, which is why Jesus would say at one point, the kingdom of God is within you. It begins secretly, kind of like a mustard seed, just a little small seed, and yet Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that, and it will grow, and it will expand, and, and it will become like a tree that, that the birds can nest in. The kingdom of God is going to happen in God's way, on God's terms, in God's timing, and a very key part of what happens in this coming kingdom of God is what happens behind the scenes, in prayer, in private, in the spiritual realm, in, in heavenly places, in places that are invisible, and in your relationship with God. The kingdom of God is within you, says Jesus, not by might nor by spirit, or excuse me, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And Jesus knows this. And he demonstrates this to us today in this beautiful passage of just a few verses. I think roughly 80 to 90% of our lives are lived in kind of the public sphere, uh, especially if you're an extrovert. I mean, people know us by how we look and by what we say and by what we do. That's how we interact with people. That's kind of the, pe the part that people see. But there's another part of our lives Maybe it's 10 to 20%, or maybe for some of us who are introverted a little bit more, that is lived behind the scenes. And that's the part that matters most. It's what's underneath the surface. It's the hidden part of the iceberg that carries the most weight. It's the time alone with God in solitary places, in solitude, in silence, in secret, in simple prayer that makes the difference. Who are you when no one is looking? That's what God sees. This kingdom, before it can be manifest physically in the world in a visible way, it must become manifest in our hearts. Before we can cast out demons and heal people and, and set people free in the name of Christ, why, we better get set free first in our hearts. And so very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. He went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Turns out Jesus isn't missing at all. He's right where he needs to be. He's right where we need him to be, on his knees, talking to the Father in prayer. How about you? Where are you today? Lord, we come before you today and we just readily confess that 
the demands and pressures of our society on our lives, on all the expectations, those trying social pressures, Lord, they're all around us and so often they dissuade us and they distract us and they keep us from time with you. We've, we feel like somehow we don't have time to pray, time to pull away, uh, Lord, and yet we need it so desperately. For unless the kingdom of God comes to our hearts, it will never come to those around us and those whom we impact in this world. And Jesus knew this. And he models it so beautifully in today's passage. Help us, Lord, to bring the kingdom of God into our own hearts. Help us to take time for prayer to make a decision this year, this week, this day to simply talk with the Father when feeling stressed, when facing temptation, when finding direction or fueling for strength and a whole host of other reasons, Lord, where we could fall on our knees to pray with you. May we be a people, a church, that is praying, a praying people, a praying church, doing spiritual battle on our knees, casting out demons, healing the sick, setting people free in the example of Jesus. Amen.